Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. It's not to say I, I don't sort of believe taxation is theft. Um, it's just not my opening line in most conversations. It's not winning grandma over. <laughs> no, no, it's just you'll confuse grandma. You yeah. will confuse her. Trust me, I've tried. My grandmother, <laughs> she just sort of stares at me. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome all back, my Liberty Kitties. If you keep listening to this show, you may one day grow up to be Liberty Lions. And I plan to help you guys along that path today with another great interview here in today's episode, the 303rd episode of this program, the flagship show here on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed. That, of course, means you can find today's show notes featuring all sorts of things we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 303. Three And before I get into my interview, where I got to talk about, really, some topics I never really get into on the show, especially my thoughts on race, something I really don't think I touched on at all. Uh, so you're going to hear that in just a minute. But first, I need to remind you about our amazing sponsors at martinarmory.com. This is a business started by Chris Martin, an entrepreneur, a liberty lover, who really wanted to invest in something that he was passionate about, and he is absolutely passionate about gun ownership. That's why he started martinarmory.com, to try to bring you guys the best guns on the market at the cheapest price possible. And it's even cheaper right now because Lions of Liberty listeners can get free shipping on any order by using the discount code LIONS. That's martinarmory.com. Use that discount code LIONS for free shipping. My guest today is an entrepreneur and political commentator. He was formerly the co-host of The Independence on Fox Business, and he's currently a co-host of the libertarian podcast, The Fifth Column, as well as a co-founder and producer at Freethink Media. I'm pleased to welcome Camille Foster. Camille, are you ready to roar? Uh, this is an enthusiastic, but somewhat skeptical Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the enthusiasm. <laughs> good, good. Now, Camille, uh, I always start off with my newer guests, guests that I haven't talked to before. I really want to dig into your libertarian origins a bit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and when you first got into politics and how you eventually became a libertarian? Sure. Uh, well, I am a first-generation American. My family is from uh, the Caribbean island of Jamaica, uh, and I've, I've been here all my life. I am, what, 36 years old now, and for most of my life, um, I, I'd say I'd probably been a pretty standard issue Democrat, um, by which I mean I never thought about it much. I just knew that Republicans were evil and Democrats were good. And somewhere along the way, uh, I had an encounter with a gentleman by the name of Milton Friedman, who I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, he's, uh, he's come up now and again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he wrote a, he wrote a book uh, that should be famous to a lot of uh, – well-known to a lot of your listeners anyways called uh, Capitalism and Freedom. And, you know, I'd had an interest in government um, before I encountered this book. I mean, I was in my probably my second year of undergrad, um, perhaps my third. Um, and I, I have sort of a long, weird uh, undergrad history. Um, but I started reading this book uh, and I, I wish I could remember the name of the guy who, who sort of set me on this course is just a kid in class who said, you're, you're far too bright to be a Democrat. 
um, <laughs> is the is the one thing I remember about him that and him somehow leading me to this book. But you know, in the uh, introduction to that book, I believe not even in the first chapter, um, Milton gave me two things um, that were of enormous value. The first was he it's that that passage where he uh, contrasts sort of the ideals of a free society with the well-known uh, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Um, and Milton, of course, suggests that neither aspect of that sentiment uh, is consistent with the ideals of a free society. And I just remember sort of realizing that that was something that I'd, I'd never really contemplated before. You know, I, I thought for a very long time about getting into government and doing things for other people through government and using government to try to improve people's lives and the, the sort of dynamic, the notion that a, a free society sort of requires something different from you is is something I hadn't encountered before. And the, the second thing that I got from Milton, uh, and this is perhaps even even more fundamental to a lot of the other things that I that are important to me um, is this this notion that freedom is a, a rare and delicate plant uh, and that most people throughout most of history um, have uh, essentially not been able to, to take advantage of that that they've been subjugated in various ways um, and that you know is a pretty profound truth that I had not wrestled with before either. And you take those two things together. And quite frankly, I mean, those are the sort of essential principles of my libertarian journey. Um, and uh, they, they, I hope, uh, um, sort of undergird like everything that I work on these days. That's really interesting that when you speak about Milton Freeman and, and his influence on you, that the things that you point to, I mean, a, a lot of guests, when they talk about Milton Freeman, they reference the economic stuff and how he really you know, made the ideas of free markets a lot more clear to them from the economic perspective. But it really seems like what you got from him was, was really the ideals and, and the ideals of freedom and how those contrast with maybe the ideals of, of patriotism or just loving your government and that kind of thing. Do, did you, do you think that was unique, a unique take for you to get from Milton Freeman? Not that he, not that it's not there, but it's not what you commonly hear people cite when it comes to Freeman. Yeah, I, I certainly understand that. And I know a lot of uh, sort of libertarians come to the ideas through the, the principles of economics. Um, but for me, it was certainly the, the other way around. It was a, the philosophical awakening that led me to a broader and broader appreciation of what markets can actually do. Um, I mean, I, I think I've, I've sort of came to all of this with a, a pretty limited sense of what I would what I would trust the market to do and what I believed government absolutely had to do. Um, and, you know, discovering these principles first um, and then sort of working backwards from there um, to. Well, interesting. I mean, but but who will build the roads uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then sort of sussing that out. Um, and, you know, my journey from from Milton uh, led me to some other places. I mean, Frederick Bastiat is, uh, is sort of the the second most influential person in the Pantheon. Um, and the third um, is Murray Rothbard. Um, and interestingly, I'm, I'm probably not a, a Rothbardian, uh, but I would describe myself as as an anarcho capitalist. Um, but uh, I'm also a, a pragmatist. I mean, for the most part uh, today, I'm a guy who wants to have conversations with people who disagree with me uh, more than I want to have conversations with people who agree with me, uh, not because I don't like them, uh, but because I want to win. Um, and in winning, uh, sort of defined broadly, I mean, you've really got to be engaging other people in a way 
that is sort of persuasive and to them practical. And oftentimes that means, you know, engaging um, in ways that that won't necessarily shock them. Uh, that's not to say I, I don't sort of believe taxation is theft. Um, it's just not my opening line in most conversations. It's not winning grandma over. <laughs> no, no, it's just you'll confuse grandma. You yeah. will confuse her. Trust me, I've tried. My grandmother, she just sort of <laughs> stares at me. You tried so. You tried uh, <laughs> tagging her on, on Twitter with uh, taxation is theft and it just didn't go over yeah. well, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, stuff like that are great rallying cries maybe for libertarians, fun to make memes out of, great stuff sure. like that. But when we want to go out into the real world and talk to, you know, actual human beings or talk to someone like you, yourself 10 years ago, now, if your classmate, uh, whatever, maybe he's even listening right now. Maybe we'll finally un- uncover his identity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if your classmate had turned to you and instead of saying, hey, you know, you're really smart. You're way too smart to be a Democrat. Go read this book. He approached you with a compliment. You know, he approached you with, hey, uh, you know, you're, you're better than this. Here's something to go read. He didn't just turn to you and say, taxation is theft, bro. I mean, I don't think that would have been nearly as effective. It probably would have gotten you sort of a quizzical look and maybe not much more. Sure, sure. I mean, I think stuff like that can often go over people's heads, and you are absolutely correct. Um, it, it, it makes for a great meme. And look, I, I think we're all we're humans, and there are some things that are my, my friend Thad Russell will smack me for this. There are some things that are that are common to us. Let me say instead of innate, um, and straight doping and feeling quite good about the fact that we know things that other people don't um, is, is something that we can take a lot of comfort in. Uh, sometimes uh, I don't. I don't rest there. Um, for me, you know, advancing these ideals is is essential. Um, it's essential to the sort of preservation of a free society, and I hope to the expansion of the freedoms that we enjoy. Um, there is no there is no guarantee that the the society our sort of children uh, will will inherit. Uh, and I say that as a guy who doesn't act, doesn't currently have any children, uh, but just in general. Um, but there's no guarantee about what that world will look like. Uh, we we have to create it, and um, I think it's important to to engage with uh, our fellow humans and to do what we can to try to persuade them that the uh, the ideas that we care about are are good and virtuous and moral, um, and to to try our best to have persuasive, uh, sort of mutually respectful conversations. Um, and, and sometimes that means swallowing a bit of crow. Uh, sometimes that means not, not necessarily smacking back as hard as they, they might swat at me. Uh, oftentimes I walk into a conversation where someone believes I'm all sorts of horrible, selfish, disgusting things. Um, and I, I set most of that aside to try to establish that the place where my ideals and values come from is, is not dissimilar from your, your own. You know, I, I think that we both ought to agree that helping poor people is uh, is a good thing, and creating a society that is as prosperous as possible so everyone can benefit is a is a good thing. Uh, and if we can at least agree on that, then you know my chances of persuading you are much higher. Yeah, and finding that common ground is is so very important when you're trying to persuade people to at least see things from your point of view, if not to just fully adopt your philosophy overnight, which no one's really going to do. Yeah, you know, if, if you approach someone who completely disagrees with, say, your take on healthcare, you know, a great way to start is just asking what they want. You know, why do they support maybe Obamacare or what have you? And they'll probably say, well, they don't want to see people sick and dying, and they don't want to see people go bankrupt because of medical bills. And then you can just say. 
I completely agree. And then there, sure. you, you've at least put down the, the combat. You've at least put the swords away for a minute so you can actually engage in a, in a discussion from there. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, that that reminds me of, of something else I've, I've taken from uh, from Milton Friedman. And I think it also has you know roots in, in the evangelical faith in which I was brought up. Um, but, you know, the notion that um, if you're able to persuade someone in about three or four minutes that you are completely correct, you probably haven't done a great deal uh, because someone else will likely come along once you're gone and, and give them another three or four minutes worth of spiel. Uh, and They'll be right back on the other side. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a I think the goal is to have you know, a, a succession of, of conversations and engagements with people that there's this perpetual ongoing dialogue that we are, you know, constantly in some cases, even adjudicating the same thing over and over again, and perhaps for different audiences, um, so that we can try to create, you know, an, an ecosystem, um, of sort of persuasive arguments for the ideas that we care about that are built on the best possible foundations that make it a point to not, not merely um, sort of make a, a, a joking critique of the sort of productio version of their argument, but to to do other people the the favor and and really model what you hope they'll do for you of engaging with the best possible version of their argument. And and I think that steel manning, uh, as it's called, is is pretty essential. Yeah, I think the one of the hardest things to do when communicating libertarian ideas, or maybe it's not confined just to libertarians, and maybe anybody that has a passionate belief ab about anything, is, is to kind of get that guard down and not just spit out your entire world worldview in two seconds, and to actually do this crazy thing called actually listening to the other person. And, and that I'm, yeah. not, I'm not perfect at all on that. In fact, that was a skill that starting this podcast about three and a half years ago has helped me develop because I have to listen to my guests because if I don't, I'm going to sound really stupid if I just start asking them <laughs> about questions that, of things that they already answered in their last answer. But here I am too busy not listening and getting ready for my next question. So we need to, to take that same skill and develop it and apply it to our, our regular conversations because if you're not hearing what the person says and you're just kind of winding up and, and getting your all your libertarian talking points ready to shoot out i mean they're not they're going to realize very quickly that you're not actually listening to them yeah no i mean it's 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 transparent when uh, a politico shows up uh on one of the sunday shows or something and they've got their talking points in front of them and these are the three things that go they're going to say uh and when you ask them a question they don't want to answer they will either ignore that question or they might remark you know that's very interesting but the real issue is um and and I, I think it's it's imperative that we are listening to what people are saying that we're even perhaps trying to help them refine their own thinking um i think it's pretty powerful when you can demonstrate to someone um again in a respectful uh thoughtful way uh that that there is perhaps something else about the stated value, the values that they say they care about, um, that they're perhaps overlooking um, or not uh, thinking about in a refined enough manner. Um, I think that can be that can be really beneficial. I mean, I, my hope is that you know, in any conversation I have with someone, that they can always walk away from it uh, with something useful and meaningful, um, and and that I can too. You know, I, my my goal. You know, to the extent I'm doing stuff in in public spaces and and having public conversations is to is to try and have mutually beneficial conversations. I think there's there's something really really useful in just having that as a as a baseline. Well, on the subject of communicating with people that 
don't disagree with you or that agree disagree with you or that you know from the get-go are going to disagree with you. You actually had uh, some conversations with some people from Black Lives Matter earlier last year, I believe it was. Uh, why don't mm-hmm. you tell us how that went? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had quite a few. Um, I suspect you might be referring to the conversation I had outside of my uh, my apartment building. Yeah, that's the, that's the one I heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, this was a, an interesting evening and and I've got, you know, all sorts of weird heterodox views about about race and stuff, but maybe I'll just approach this directly. Um, I I leave my apartment and I step outside and I notice a large encampment of young people uh, that are just in this park right beside my apartment. And I approach them uh, and it's pretty obvious that they're from Black Lives Matter because they have signs that say as much. And I walk over, and the first question I ask is, who's in charge, which immediately puts them on guard. Um, (laughs) This guy's scary. (laughs) Yeah, and and I just – I wanted to talk to someone, you know, and I I made it clear that I'm just interested in asking some questions. And it's it's hard to remember exactly how this happened, but I believe, like, the first question was something along the lines of, well, well, why are you here? And they they said something about, you know, injustice is uh, directed at, at black and Latino people. Um, and I, I asked the further question and I said, and I believe it was just, what do you mean? Can you give me an example? Uh, because again, I don't want to have a conversation on the basis of what I think you mean by that. Let's let right. you articulate it. But just asking that question sort of set them off. Uh, and the conversation ended with me being accused of being an undercover police officer, uh, with me being threatened with violence and, sort of walking away under a hail of expletives and, and nasty, uh, nasty names. Uh, Uncle Tom, uh, or I believe in this particular case, it was Coon that was used uh, repeatedly. And, which and you didn't even disagree with anything because you couldn't even get that far with them. You, just no. the fact that you didn't blindly accept their premise and, and dug a little bit further for some specifics, even that act yeah. alone was seen as, as, I guess, tyrannical enough. <laughs> sure. And I mean, look, it's it's possible, right, that I was giving off a vibe that suggested I was skeptical. Um, I'm walking my dog at 10 o'clock at night. There are kids outside making a making a mess and, um, you know, generally uh, not doing things that I'd prefer. It's possible I wasn't making a particularly nice face, uh, <laughs> but I certainly didn't threaten anyone else with violence. Um, so that that didn't start with me. Maybe they were scared um, of the, the threat dog. of violence. Yeah, it could have been that. Um, but they even they even had nasty things to say about my dog, which is the only thing about that exchange that really made me upset. That as um, as a as an owner of two <laughs> as a proud owner of two huskies, uh, that is crossing the line. You don't mess with my dogs. <laughs> you can make fun of my family, my friends, my my yeah. voice, my podcast. Don't go near the dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they suggested he was he was malnourished. He'd just come back from uh, two weeks at boarding, and as as anyone who owns a dog knows. Uh, sometimes when they're away playing at boarding, uh, they'll come back a little thinner. So yep. he had just come back that day and we were trying to fatten him back up. Uh, and they, they suggested that I didn't love him. That that hurt me. So, but yeah, that conversation didn't go anyplace. Um, but, you know, fortunately I've had some, some other interactions that, that were that way, but I've had many other interactions that have gone in a, in a slightly different direction. And I can't say that I have sort of converted many Black Lives Matter members and, and I'll, I can sort of unpack why I might be interested in converting them or what I might be interested in persuading them about exactly. But um, I can definitely say that I've, I've had some productive conversations there. And I think um, conversations that are probably a lot more productive than most of the public conversations about race and social justice in general and criminal justice reform in particular. 
um, than the, the sort of analog to those conversations that are happening in, in the mainstream media and in the public more broadly. Well, this does tie back into uh, what you mentioned a little bit earlier. I think you called it your your weird views on race. So, um, and I, <laughs> Heterodox. I heterodox. <laughs> um, and I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but just from, from listening to some of what you said about this, like I mentioned before the show, I heard, I think, a two and a half hour interview with uh, that you did with Thaddeus Russell recently, a past guest on this program as well. And uh, God bless you. But basically, <laughs> you're like, fine. Thank God someone actually listened to the whole thing. It was was worth it. <laughs> There's at least one of us out there. Uh, no, it, it was really great. And uh, it, in many ways, it reflects a lot of what I've thought over the years about race. I mean, I, I don't know if you use this actual word, but it kind of sounds like you're sort of racially agnostic or racial, racially skeptic, maybe, in the sense that you you really are against the idea of, of identifying yourself with a race specifically. And I've always thought, well, to me, the only thing I can learn about someone from their race and even the idea of what race they are is, is very sketchy. But all I can learn from the color of their skin is just that, the color of their skin. I can literally not learn anything else about somebody um, from, from that information alone. Uh, the way someone dresses, the way they talk, those are things I might be able to learn something from, maybe something small. But the, the, yeah. the skin color alone, it really tells you absolutely nothing about a person. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, you, you nailed most of that. Um, racially agnostic is, uh, is exactly the phrase that I um, have been using. And I, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else use that. Uh, I don't know that I created it either, um, but it's it's my preference, um, and it it might be more appropriate um, to suggest that I'm I'm sort of a skeptic on the the con the very concept of race. Um, it, race is as as has been described oftentimes a, a social construct, and I, I know that there's a, a bit of a lively debate these days about the extent to which it's sort of biological or genetic, but in an important way, race is a social construct across time and space. Um, the very notion of race, of let's just take blackness, for example, means dramatically different things to different people. There is no specific genetic or biological sort of component to that. And quite frankly, I mean, when we talk about race, we're generally using it in this way that is, you know, highly compatible with uh, sort of a a sensibility that was established um, not too long after this country was founded um, and sort of broadened around the world, um, but we are—we're not really talking about things in a in a really informed way, uh, in a really thoughtful way. I mean, the the fact of the matter is that from a biological and genetic standpoint, uh, oftentimes we are we are uh, much more similar to. People who who may perhaps look different from us, sort of phenotypically, uh, than we are to people who like look a, a bit more similar to us, uh, i.e., have sort of similarly dark skin or similarly curly hair. Um, and and I think it's important to to be aware of that reality um, for a number of reasons, but perhaps the most fundamental reason is because at least today in our contemporary society, there are so many important issues um, that we talk about in the context of race, uh, where we obscure all sorts of really important details because we get caught up in this very scintillating, highly charged and often divisive uh, concept of race. We end up talking exclusively about sort of the motivation of police officers who are involved in police shootings, rather than talking about practical steps that we can take towards 
the reforms that might be necessary to minimize the total numbers of police shootings. And we see the same sort of thing play out uh, with respect to, uh, say, mass incarceration, when people are having conversations about the, the extent to which Black people are sort of over-locked up uh, as a percentage of the, the population with respect to their sort of demographics. Um, we're not having a conversation necessarily about how to confront mass incarceration. We're having a narrow conversation about, let's say, first causes, perhaps, uh, about sort of what um, the the consequences or vestiges of slavery. And that's not to say that those aren't important conversations to have, but they are materially different oftentimes than the things that actually lead to changing those bad systems or trends um, in, in a really meaningful and durable way. And even building coalitions around the things that might actually allow us to get things changed. I think you're spot on there, Camille, and we just need to take a quick little break to tell my listeners about a coalition we have formed with our sponsors at Martin Armory. I firmly believe one of the most important things you can do to protect yourself and your loved ones is to own a firearm. But for a lot of people, buying a gun can be an overwhelming process. There are just so many options, and not everyone feels comfortable walking into a gun store. Well, our friends at martinarmory.com are doing their part to change that. Martin Armory was founded with a simple goal to make buying a gun simple and affordable. Instead of carrying thousands of different guns, martinarmory.com only carries 25. This allows them to focus on providing the most popular guns on the market at insanely cheap prices. And now for a limited time, their prices are even more insane as martinarmory.com is offering Lions of Liberty listeners free shipping. Simply go to martinarmory.com, pick an awesome gun, and enter the promo code LIONS. Again, that's martinarmory.com. The promo code is LIONS. In your regular life, you're the the big, your regular life, your life, you're a a huge advocate of reforming the criminal justice system and and undertaking massive changes to that. And in in that aspect, you should be a massive ally to the kinds of people that are in Black Lives Matter. They should see you as that, you know, if they actually listen to you, which it sounds like a lot of them wouldn't even take the time to do. But when you're narrowly focusing on just the, the, the skin, I don't even want to say race, because like you said, it is largely a social construct. I mean, when I, I uh, back about 15 years ago, I spent a semester in Manchester, England for college, uh, a society you would think is, is relatively similar to the United States. Uh, one thing I noticed that my friends, and I, it wasn't even in a racist way, but when they would say black guy, they weren't necessarily referring to a black guy that was referred to in America, they're referring to a Pakistani person, maybe, which in America, you never call a Pakistani person a black guy. Uh, that's just one example of a, a culture seeing, you know, classifying race in a, in a totally different way, because it's just the way that they see it there. Uh, that There's nothing scientific about that. It's purely cultural. Um, but going back, like you said, when you're focusing on just, say, disparity in the criminal justice system, you know, Black Lives Matter, or so- somebody might say there are way too many black people in court incarcerated uh, compared to white people. Okay, so there's a couple ways you could approach that problem. The way a libertarian mm-hmm. would approach that would say, yeah, there's way too much incarceration, period. Uh, so let's reduce yeah. the, the number of laws and, and all that. But if you just take what they say on, on the surface of that argument, you could also say, well, we just need to jail more white people. You know, we, we, have, <laughs> we need greater equality. And, 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 and that really is not – these are totally different, like you said, totally different perspectives totally. on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean it's, it's both you know, with respect to trying to explain – 
how how uh, what we ought to do about this. Um, oftentimes, it comes down to it's uh, it's discrimination uh, in particular that is motivating people to to get to lock folks up. In which case, you're perhaps ignoring the drug war completely, um, apart from. Uh, raising some concerns about, say, uh, the disparate impact of, say, crack versus powder cocaine sentencing. But the truth of the matter is that the problem is much more fundamental than that. It's the, it's the war on drugs, for example, that helps to drive both crime and incarceration rates in this country. And if you're not talking about reforming that, if your principal interest is uh, sort of trying to determine whether or not the cops are racist or even uh, just generally how racist are the cops, I mean, what are you going to do about that, even if they are racist? I mean, the, the best case scenario here is that you can sort of cry about it, but you can't wave a wand. You can't change a law and actually make them unracist. I mean, there's something there's something very sort of fatalistic and nihilistic uh, about a lot of the sort of sensibilities um, around the the specific way that some folks in like the Black Lives Matter movement like approach these issues. And it's true. I mean, we, we ought to have broad agreement. Um, and oftentimes I find that rather than us having conversations about the various things that we agree on with re- respect to criminal justice reform, like a desire for lapel cameras, uh, a desire to, to see you know, if there is, in fact, a police-involved shooting, like an actual trial take place as opposed to just grand juries uh, being convened. Like We agree on that stuff. We should be able to find common cause around that. But instead, oftentimes it just becomes, well, if you won't acknowledge um, that this particular person was obviously shot because they're black, um, then, you know, we can't, we can't have a conversation here. And I just think that's, that's silly. Uh, It's wrong. And it's certainly not focused on, on outcomes that we might actually be interested in. Right. I mean, just take the recent case of Philando Castile. Now, I, I, maybe the officer was somewhat racist or maybe even subtly racist. And maybe there was some added apprehension or tension because of Falando's skin color. That's possible, but it's pure speculation because no one can really know what's in this man's heart. Um, you know, nobody really you know knows every step that went through his mind in those very, you know, quick moments uh, during that encounter. But what really the conversation should be, why did, why can something like this happen uh, in our society? So what, what steps need to, to change? So police aren't, you know, pulling a gun on a, le- a perfectly legal gun owner. Uh, instead, there's an assumption by many that the officer is obviously racist, the system's obviously racist, so that's the only thing to focus on. And when that's the only thing to focus on, suddenly we're not talking about the safety issue. Suddenly we're not talking about how to protect legal gun owners. We're talking about something completely ex- extraneous that may be true. And if it is yeah. true, like you said, we can't even do anything about it other, other than sure. you know c- combat it with better ideas. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many like reasonable, practical things that one might discuss if they're not distracted by the race of the officer and the race of the, of the person who was shot. Um, is, it, is it the best idea for you to announce that you have a firearm that you're carrying on you legally when you're stopped by a police officer? In this particular case, there's a very good argument to be made that if Philando had never mentioned it, he'd be alive right now. Um, so that's one possibility. Uh, I mean, another possibility is Protectual shops. Should the police be making those at all? Um, and a third is why on earth are armed agents of the state pulling people over for moving violations that they could actually just use some sort of automated system for? That's the big um, one. That's the big one. I mean, one it to just, me. it, it, and for me, that's where, that's where my mind goes almost immediately. Now, granted, with this particular case, um, there are plenty of things about it that bother me. 
Um, and none of them, quite frankly, have anything to do with the race of the police officer or the victim. Um, I think that the the delta between the testimony um, that the police officer gave on the stand in that case and the actual interviews that took place on the scene uh, is pretty substantial. And it seems pretty obvious to me that the police officer uh, very likely embellished his testimony uh, in order to protect himself. Um, now, that's not evidence of guilt, but that is certainly irksome. He, he was clearly um, coached into, into some of his answers yeah, and how they changed from absolutely. until the trial. No doubt about it. And like but, I said, that's, that has there, nothing to do with his race. <laughs> so already. No, it has nothing to do with his race, except for him, uh, except for his being blue. Uh, to the extent, yeah, to the right. extent they're blue and we're not, um, and and there's different treatment for them, that's problematic, uh, and that's something that we should we should address and should be talking about. But again, like here's the conversation we're having. The truth of the matter is that for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, um, the Washington Post, and I, I included a conservative publication in there deliberately. Everyone is looking for this very familiar narrative about blackness and whiteness, about white supremacy, about privilege. Uh, about you know minority disadvantage and the two words are, are almost synonymous with one another today, um, and they're just not arriving at this conversation. And quite frankly, I just don't know that you you get to you get around to fixing things. You certainly scratch that itch to to demonstrate that you are an enlightened, or as the 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 parlance of the day is, uh, what woke a woke person, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because you care about racial issues. Uh, but quite frankly, I'm not interested in putting on, putting on a show for anyone. I, I want meaningful reform and change. And uh, I am I am pretty confident that, uh, that race in often in many, many cases today is an obstacle to us getting around to having those conversations. So as a matter of self-identification, I don't go there. Um, because it's unnecessary. I'm all sorts of remarkable things before I get around to sort of the shade of my skin. Um, and, you know, in the, in the context of public policy, I mean, unless there is obvious, um, explicit, you know, incontrovertible proof that race is a, a huge issue here, um, for the most part, I'm probably looking for more meaningful factors because why wouldn't you? I mean, that's just the reasonable thing to do. Right. And it, it, there is a kind of a maybe somewhat of a, a virtue signaling that goes on maybe in, in some of these groups. And it kind of ties back to what we were discussing earlier with like the, the taxation is theft thing. It might get you points with your group, uh, but it's not going to create much change. So, you know, calling a cop racist it might get your points with your group, but you're not going to get any of the fundamental changes as a result of that, that you would really need to prevent more things like this from happening in the future. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I think there are also perhaps some unintended consequences there. I mean, what, what happens to a community that arrives at the belief that every interaction with the police is going to be dominated by the fact that they're black, that they are likely to receive impartial treatment because of their blackness? Like once, once you have sort of received this, um, this accepted wisdom, this this fact about the universe, your interpretation of virtually anything they do. I mean, he could just be having a bad day. He could just generally be an asshole. He might actually be being really, really nice to you or she. Um, and your interpretation of this is, what is that? Is that because I'm black? Um, that is a that is a disadvantageous way to in interact with the world. Um, and it also could lead to a pretty nasty cycle. 
um, if your first response in a, in a nasty situation, in an unpleasant situation, and let's face it, every interaction with law enforcement, generally speaking, even the ones of our choosing, uh, is generally unpleasant. Like you're not calling them because you're happy. Um, and they're not stopping you because they're happy with you for the most part, right? Like something is wrong, even if they're saving you. Um, so it's always high stress. It's always problematic. Um, but if in that high stress moment, you know, you're, re- you're retreating to that and you start to become hostile because of it, I mean, what does the cop do in return? Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a vicious cycle. Uh, and that's not to say that the obligation is on you to behave yourself and not the police officer. I've made that argument, but it is to say that there there are multiple layers of uh, potential baggage associated with um, having uh, this well-worn racial narrative, having a bunch of biases that are sort of connected to it um, and not opening ourselves up to the possibility um, that there is sort of more to any particular story. Um, and that our appearance is not our destiny. Uh, it doesn't say a great deal about who we are. It's not something that we should have sort of pride or shame in, in particular. Um, it's just, it's like our height, you know, and some of us are, are fortunate enough to be as tall as LeBron and some of us are, are five, nine, and that's about average. And eh, that's fine too. You know, I can't, right. can't dunk a basketball, but I get it done. Yeah, it's certainly an, an important conversation, uh, the, the subject of race. And it, it's not something I thought too much about until very recently, maybe the last year or two. Uh, but mm. there's just been so much that it's come up and, you know, this evergreen university thing. Uh, there, there's sure. really been a, a backlash. There, there's been a couple of things. There's been sort of a, a movement sort of against white people, especially on college campuses. But then that creates a backlash and actually provides power to, say, the Richard Spencers of the world, who I don't even think have that much of a platform as it is, but they probably have yeah. more of one because of this focus on race so you're they're actually creating you know that that which they hate already you know they're they're creating this feeling of white supremacy from other people that might feel threatened by their focus on race yeah yeah no i think i think there's a lot of truth to that um i also think it's important to recognize that richard spencer's best arguments uh quite frankly sound a hell of a lot like the sort of standard commentary that you will get uh, when folks talk about um, sort of diversity in this country and more less sort of less diversity, um, but sort of the specific ways that members of a community are per- permitted to, uh, because of the double standard that we have here, um, make professions of pride in their race. Um, it is common for in black in the black community for people to say things like, "Oh, you should buy from black-owned businesses." Um, for me, I always I always try to restate those things um, in the other direction. You know, I'm proud of my whiteness. I love my whiteness and yours. Um, I will only shop at white owned businesses. I mean, even um, to me, what you're that, saying it that way sounds more racist to me. <laughs> like, I, I've just well, been conditioned well, it, this way. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've certainly, and, and there's a history there. So that's part of the reason it sounds that way. But, but we, shouldn't, we shouldn't overlook what is actually happening. Like, underneath all of this, race, race isn't special and racism isn't special, it's tribalism. Um, and whatever our history with racism in this country, we should recognize that tribalism is a force that has been used to sort of divide humans from one another in arbitrary and destructive ways throughout history. Nationalism is a form of tribalism. Um, these things are very much the same. And the, the, the end result of uh, sort of intense tribal loyalties is nearly always something tyrannical and ugly. And it nearly always means that we're 
overlooking like important truths uh, about the world around us. And um, if for me, honestly, it's my, my libertarian beliefs, my convictions about the world, my sensibility about sort of the limited endowment of human freedom that humanity has had uh, for all of its existence on this, on this tiny dot. That precedes my thinking um, about race. Um, I, I, in the same fashion, sort of backed into this. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, like like most people, and believed many of the sort of standard things that a lot of other Black people might believe um, about race, and maybe even had race pride at some point in the past. But um, I, I recognize now, and I, I think, quite frankly, it's the it's the single it's the single most important thing that we are that we're doing on this planet together um i recognize now that that is not uh the proper place to to sort of draw a line around myself and say this is who i am um there's something remarkable about the fact that as humans we've been sort of constantly expanding the sphere of our tribe and finding ways in which uh we can extend sort of the same general sense of reciprocity that we would give to like a family member to various to various other people not to say that they can make a claim on our lives but that they are you know entitled to the same right to life and liberty and property that we are um the broader you can expand that sphere and the more universal that principle and idea is the better and quite frankly i just think various forms of tribalism get in the way of that all important fundamental project um, so I find myself pushing back against it a lot. Um, but I also want to be sure that I'm checking myself. I mean, there, there's certainly still racism. It's just quite frankly, it's, oh, yeah, of course, right. it's overstated and it is not impossible to exaggerate even the degree to which it's wreaked havoc in the past. It is a mistake to pretend to believe that even chattel slavery in the United States of America is unique, not because chattel slavery wasn't so bad. Um, but because most people throughout most of history have been subjugated. And if you miss that essential point, you might lead yourself to believe that, you know, well, this is just about race. This is just about that bad thing that happened in the United States. No, slavery was ubiquitous. It's existed longer than writing has. And at the time it was thriving here in the United States. It was also thriving um, on the continent of Europe um, across Russia with serfdom. Serfdom was, in effect, a, a form of slavery, even if the repercussions of it uh, were different. It was more massive there. Um, it existed for, uh, for a similar period and was actually abolished around the same time. So it's, this, these are just important sort of fundamental lessons for all humans to get. Um, and I think advocates of liberty uh, would do well to familiarize themselves with this fact as well, so we can just really appreciate how rare and delicate this plant is that we uh, that we have the good fortune to take advantage of. Yeah, that's a, some really good points, and and I, I'm pretty sure that if you went back to the some of the slave owners in in say the 1800s in the United States and said, "Here's the deal: uh, you're allowed to still have slavery, but we're going to take all your black slaves and we're going to replace them with white people." Would any of these slave owners objected? I mean, it was really about the labor and the slavery, and maybe some of them were racist along the way, but it didn't. Ch the fundamental issue is about the issue of slavery, not about the issue of race. So we can't just end black slavery; you have to end slavery, and then that's yeah, where we need to yeah. keep the focus on. No, for sure. I mean, the subjugation was in the United States. The subjugation was taking place even before that. Um, there was 
before there were African slaves, there were in fact European slaves. There was uh, a system of indentured servitude uh, that existed and that was pretty grueling. Um, even while slavery existed in this country, the Irish um, had pretty uh, pretty low standing in society and were used to do very dangerous work um, that that even slaves weren't permitted to do because they had some value to their masters. Um, I mean, it's just, it, and this is, again, these aren't qualifications to say, well, slavery is not so bad. The, the, again, the fundamental insight here is, no, it was terrible. But the truth is that things have been terrible for lots of people across time on this planet. Um, and it is only in recent years that we have sort of developed the the shared sense of humanity, our broader sense of humanity and, and our rights, uh, and quite frankly, sort of embraced like the fundamental building blocks of classical liberalism or, or libertarianism, um, that it's only as we've done that, that we've been able to, to make the world a, a better and more prosperous uh, and freer place. Uh, and I, I just think that's, it's so important not to lose sight of that, not to lose sight of how sort of universal that uh, sort of vestige um, is that all of our, all of our, uh, our past um, is bound up in that same struggle for greater freedom, for greater equality um, under the law. I mean, these are, these are, these are new ideas, um, and uh, it's important to to defend them because if you don't, um, they they might fall by the wayside. Yeah, Camila, I mean, we could probably dig into this uh, this racial rat hole for a couple more hours if we wanted to, <laughs> but I know we've gone a little bit over our time. But I, you, you already did that once with Thaddeus Russell, so I will go ahead and link to your full interview if people are interested in this conversation with Thaddeus Russell. I'll link to that at the show notes for today's show, which listeners can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 303. Uh, before I let you go, though, Camille, I just want to make sure people know what you're doing out there. I know you are the co-host over at The Fifth Column, a great podcast people need to be checking out, so feel free to let people know where they can find that. And also, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing at Freethink Media? Yeah, well, uh, The Fifth Column, as you mentioned, is a, is a podcast I co-host. It is not, in fact, a libertarian podcast. I call it, it that because it feels like one. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, well, we we over-index for libertarians, I think, is the way I've, that, I've explained that it, it. both, both it. with respect to the hosts um, and with respect to the audience at the moment. Uh, and I hope that it's broader than that. But what we try to do is, is media criticism. I mean, I think we try to model like good, respectable, respectful debate. We have differences of opinion between us. There are some things that we agree on pretty vociferously, and you're probably not going to hear a robust argument between the three hosts, myself, uh, Matt Welch of Reason Magazine, who should be familiar to your audience, and and Michael Moynihan at Vice News. Um, so yeah, we we have great exchanges there. Um, and that's at, and they can find us at wethefifth.com, um, at wethefifth on Twitter, and that's fifth F-I-F-T-H. And uh, we're also on Sirius XM on the POTUS channel. We, we are syndicated a couple of times a weekend. And uh, Freethink is a, is a creative agency and media brand. And uh, I sometimes describe it as Vice Meets Ted. Uh, we tell stories about the way that the world is changing um, and produce original video content that sort of shares those stories. And again, Freethink is not a, a libertarian outfit either, um, but it's certainly consistent with, with my values. Um, and I mean, we just, we try to tell the, the most important stories of the moment from an affirmative and optimistic standpoint. There are remarkable people who are trying to solve the world's biggest problems. And while we have really big problems, uh, we've never been better positioned 
to or more empowered to tackle those problems. And I think so much of the media landscape, it's it's typical to have conversations about the problems, to focus on how bad they are. Um, and I think it's a little less um, typical for us to put a real emphasis and a spotlight on the people who are trying to solve those things. And uh, I mean, for me, what's what's really great about it is, you know, in shining that spotlight and, and telling people that there are options, um, my hope is to inspire more people to try to tackle big problems, too. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things where none of it is promised. You've got to create the conditions. Um, and I don't want you to sit around and wait for a bureaucrat. Um, I, I think that oftentimes you can help find a solution to this massive problem that we're dealing with. Um, so it's, uh, I hope, a rallying cry for people to get engaged. I hope it's a, a mechanism for people to, to learn more about the world that they're living in and to have more informed conversations about important stuff. So we tell stories at Freethink to try to, to, try to create that, and uh, I hope we're doing a good job of it. Awesome. Yeah. And that's at freethinkmedia.com. And like you said, it's, right. it's, it's easier than ever with, with today's technology to communicate, to create videos, to distribute them, to reach other people, to uh, to have a, a podcast or talk about race for two and a half hours and send it out to the world. <laughs> uh, the, the, there's no limit to what we can do now. So uh, it would be foolish for us not to use it to our advantage. And I'm certainly glad that you are one of the people out there who's who's really doing that. So uh, I want to commend you on all the work you're doing. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you and keep up the great work. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out, man. Thanks for including me. It's been a blast, Camille. Take care. Take it easy. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Camille Foster, a guy who I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. He's been really in the public eye on The Independence with the Fifth Column Podcast, but it was really listening to his interview with Thaddeus Russell, where they spent, like I said, two and a half hours talking about race that really inspired me to send him that email and and get him on here because it really was a fascinating conversation. And like I said, this is not really the kind of thing I've talked about on the show much, so I was happy to have Camille on here to talk about that and many other things. So please do go ahead and check out his work, The Fifth Column Podcast, as well as Freethink Media. Of course, I'll link to all this stuff in today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 303. Now, somebody else out there who's doing some amazing work is a guy who's been on the show before, a guy by the name of Gret Glyer. He founded the Donor C app. A truly revolutionary app that lets people directly contribute to charitable projects all over the world. I interviewed Gret back in episode number 289 of this show, and since that time, a fan of this show and a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride by the name of Clint Rankin, he decided to start a group called Walk the Walk. You can find this group on Facebook. You can also find them at walkthewalktofreedom.com, and the goal of this group is to gather libertarians and people in the liberty movement together to fund specific projects every month. Now, I have to admit, I've recorded this section of the podcast twice, and the reason I'm doing this twice is the first time I recorded this, I was telling people about the project we are trying to finish up, the well in Malawi in Chingaluma Village, which is going to provide clean water to 300 families. Well, guess what? Before the show aired, you guys finished funding it. (laughs) Not just you guys, Lions fans, there are people from all sorts of walks of life. People that aren't even libertarians, I'm sure, are contributing, but Lions of Liberty listeners were certainly a big part of it. I saw many of your names, many familiar names on the list of donors over at DonorZ. So congratulations, we did it. 300 families are now going to have clean water for at least 20 years. Clean water in their village that they can easily access. It's going to truly change their lives. So great job, Lions. But the work never really ends. And the fact that we just finished funding this project, all that means is that it's time to 
move on to a new project. And the project that we'll be focusing our attention on now is called Help Give Our Kids a Home. This is the fifth phase of a five-phase project, and the goal here is to find homes, create a home for street kids in Niendo, Uganda. Uh, these are kids that are, many of our, them are, are AIDS orphans. They live on the streets. They have really nowhere else to go. They're, they're eating out of dumpsters. They're getting diseases. Many of them are getting kidnapped, uh, given away for child sacrifice. This is some of the kind of crazy stuff that goes on there, all because these kids really have nowhere to go. So this has been a very large project over the course of several months to build this home in Niendo, and this specific phase, the last phase of the project, is to build the showers and the bathrooms. Obviously, very important in the sense of getting these kids clean, keeping their hygiene good so they don't get diseases, so now that they have a place to live, they'll actually be able to keep themselves sanitary. Now, the original total for this entire project was $55,000. Pretty big number, uh, but that's why they broke it up into phases. This is actually the fifth phase. So the project is almost entirely complete. This specific phase is focusing on building the bathrooms and the showers, like I said, and the amount left to fund that part is only $2,930. I know we can bang this out in the next month, especially if we reach out to all our friends, our family. This is not just for libertarians. This is the kind of stuff that anybody can just toss a couple bucks to and see in real time the results of their charity. You'll get video updates and you'll actually see these kids. You'll see the kids that your money is helping. It really is an amazing thing. So to find this project, head over to DonorC.com, D-O-N-O-R-S-E-E.com slash project slash 78, or go to the app store on your phone, type in DonorC, D-O-N-O-R-S-E-E, download that DonorC app, very simple to set up, and you can go ahead and follow me, Mark Clare, you can follow Gret Glyer, you can follow Clint Rankin, you follow any of those people and you will see this project on our pages because we have all donated to it. So very easy to find, of course, I'll also post it over in today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 303. Let's not just talk the talk, guys. Let's walk the walk. Now, there's another guy out there in Liberty Land that he talks the talk and he walks the walk when it comes to podcasting, and that is my friend Remzo W. Martinez. He just launched the third season of his podcast, The Remzo Republic. And lo and behold, he had this amazing guest. I just listened to the show. It's, it's really, truly amazing. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast. That's right, it was me. I was the guest on the premiere of The Remzo Republic and really had a great conversation with Remzo. I got into a lot of things I don't always talk about on the show, like why we approach uh, the podcast the way we do and some of the ways I approach talking about the ideas of liberty. We got into all that stuff. I did want to give you guys a little bit of a teaser. So right now I'm going to play... A clip from that show. And if you enjoy it, which I know you will, why don't you go over and subscribe to the Remzo Republic? But for now, here's a little preview. When I started Lions of Liberty, I started it because I wanted to hear interviews with people in the liberty movement, and I couldn't find them. I, I literally couldn't find them. I, I, I mean, now Tom Woods is out there, so that might sound ridiculous. I started my show, actually, I think just a couple weeks before Tom did. Obviously, he's he's taken off, and he's Tom Woods, and he, he grew that thing a lot faster than I've been able to. But when I was starting my podcast, this there was no place to find that. There, I literally, I, I looked. I could not find the show that I wanted to hear. So I had to create it. I had no other option. <laughs> I guess I, I got to complain about it or create what I wanted to hear. So that's what I went out and did. And, and I think that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that we have the ability to do. 
in, you know, in our current age and why it's such a great time to not just be a libertarian, but be anybody who wants to promote something, whether it's charity or your business, it doesn't matter. We, know we, we live in a wonderful time to be able to communicate and, and deliver our message to people, whatever that message is. Exactly. And y- you know who the Fabians are, right? The Fabian socialists? Yeah. I've heard of them. Yeah, I mean, what, what what was their biggest thing? Their biggest thing was let's infiltrate everything and just totally hijack the, you know, the existing institutions and use the power of the state to eventually get people to willingly want our policies. And uh, I, I don't know if you saw Mark. That kind of worked. No, it, it did. I mean, we <laughs> see it in the Republican and the Democratic Party. For the most yeah. part, the Fabians, they beat up the Marxists. You know, the Soviet Union fell, yet Bernie Sanders is somehow a viable option for how to govern society. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you saw Mark, but, you know, a while back, we launched a health and lifestyle section. Now we have for our Patreon members, we're doing a, a, a Patreon exclusive series called Haunted Republic. And we do comic book reviews. And we have a guy who's going to start blogging and doing liquor reviews that have nothing to do with any of, you know, with anything political. And I have people talking to me. They're like, well, what are you trying to do? And it's like, what are you trying to do with this blog about, you know, how to lose weight with the smoothie, Remso, or how that essential oil will help you calm down, Remso? What, what's your libertarian angle? And here's the thing. My angle is I want you to read the article, and if you're reading something about a good, healthy smoothie, I want you to use that recipe. And then they're like, well, what does that have to do with growing the message? It's, you know, maybe if you read that article on the smoothie recipe or you're really into ghosts and you watch an episode of Haunted Republic on Patreon or something like that, maybe you'll go back and listen to the episode where Mark and I were talking about how to make freedom fun again. Maybe you'll listen to the episode of Jordan Stein from Gun Owners of America and you'll rethink your gun stance. Maybe you'll become a libertarian because first you wanted the smoothie recipe. There you go. I mean, yeah, it's all about bringing people into this conversation. I think that's, that's the important role that people in our position can have. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And the way to do it isn't necessarily by just hammering on the same exact libertarian topics over and over and over and over. And that's why I try to bring people in from different walks of life that are doing different things. I mean, and there's so many people out there doing it. There's people, you know, our friend Johnny Adams is out there making the Liberty Force comic. You got Eric July with Backwards. You got people doing stuff in so many different realms. And that's what we have to do. And they're doing that for a reason. I mean, you could say, why are you rapping, Eric July? That's, that's not Liberty. But, you know, he, he touches on a lot of Liberty themes. But not only that, even if someone just likes Backwards and... Uh, you know, isn't really interested, isn't thinking about their songs politically. I don't know. You're, you're still going to end up on Eric July's fan page and suddenly you're going to see some some libertarian stuff. So there's a lot of ways to bring people into your ideas. And they're not always by just saying the same ideas over and over. Exactly. Mark, we've got to wrap up the show. But just, you know, one last question for people that are trying to break into, you know, entertainment media, they're trying to do that explicitly to you know, promote the message of liberty. What's the biggest thing you think they should avoid doing like the biggest mistake you often see because i see people that spend thousands of dollars and they read all the books and they try and do all the obvious things but then they start and they you know they they just completely flounder and flail and they're they're done before they knew it what's the biggest thing you wish people could avoid well i i would try to emphasize avoiding you know 
thinking that you're going to solve the world in a week. You know, you're, you're not going to get what you want. You're not going to produce whatever product you want or craft whatever message you want overnight. And you're going to experience a lot of frustration, not only right away, but the entire time. <laughs> There's not a week Preach. where I don't end. Yeah. Where I don't end up frustrated over something uh, podcast related, even if it's just logging in and seeing numbers that I j- are a little lower than I wanted them to be. And then I, I get annoyed by that for a few minutes and then I move on. Because that's going to happen because because things are going to ebb and flow and you're going to run into pitfalls. And I think the biggest thing people do is is they're not ready for that. And they they kind of assume everything is going to go smoothly. And the second they don't, a lot of people bail. And that's why the most, you know, the, the average podcast, I think, lasts no longer than seven episodes. And that's not because podcasting is impossible or really, really hard. Uh, but it does take consistency and it does take persistence and, and there's going to be, you're going to need those qualities because you're going to run into a lot of pitfalls along the way. You're going to run into a lot of frustrations and you're not going to see the payoff right away. Frankly, years and years later, you don't always see the payoff. It really, you really takes a lot of time to build up that audience and to craft what you're doing, to make what you're doing better. My God, we just put out our 300th episode. And if you listen to episode 300 and episode one, they may as well be different shows. I mean, that, that does not sound like me in episode one. Uh, the audio quality sucks. I barely know what I'm doing. I'm all over the place. The editing is terrible. I mean, it's a totally different thing, but I never could have had episode 300 if I didn't have episode one. So if you decide you want to do something, whether it's a podcast, whether it's video, whether it's just crafting your personal message and talking to people differently, all of these things are going to have pitfalls along the way. They're all going to be frustrating. You just got to embrace that. You got to embrace the frustration, embrace the pitfalls as part of the learning process because you need those. You need those to be stronger. You need those. You know, uh, I, I wish I could think of a good superhero analogy, but, uh, you know, it's like it's like a superhero who they, they gain their power by absorbing blows and every every punch they take. I'm sure there's a superhero out there that I'm not thinking of that actually has this quality. But if they don't, then I'm making it up right now. But the more Do hits it. they take, and the more power they they absorb the stronger you can project later on. So take your hits, embrace your hits, welcome them because, but don't let them destroy you and be ready for this pitfall because it's going to occur. You're going to be frustrated and you got to just love the whole process. All right, guys. And again, you can hear my full interview with Remzo W. Martinez by heading over to the RemzoRepublic.com. You can find them on iTunes, find them on Stitcher, find them on SoundCloud, Find them anywhere you find podcasts. You're very smart people. And hey, while you're there, if you haven't done it yet, why don't you not only leave Remzo a good rating and a review, but leave us one too. Two for one. You can take care of all your podcast business while you're over there on the old interwebs. And be sure to come back next week because it is going to be the return of everyone's favorite segment here on Lions of Liberty. That's right. I'm going to gather some very brave alcoholic lions for another edition of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. And we are going to have a very special guest, possibly the biggest guest to ever appear on Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. But I'm going to keep it a secret. I'm going to keep it a secret for now. But members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, they already know who it is. They get some insider info. So if you want to get info like this ahead of time, just head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Until next Monday, folks, don't forget to check out Electric Liberty Land this coming Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty with Brian McWilliams, as well as John Odermatt's weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Until then, I've only got 
one more thing to ask of you, and that is to live long and live free. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty, rock and roll. Got me a bullet, it's just one name, why you should be.